G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, for many, the word marriage is taking on a whole new and different meaning as opponents seek to change the definition after the postal plebiscite. Well, a conversation today about words and values and how they're changing. Our special guest, Dr. Ryan Messmore. He's the founding executive director of the Millis Institute in Brisbane, the liberal arts faculty at the Christian Heritage College. Well, Ryan formerly served as a research fellow at the U.S. Heritage Foundation, which is the largest education think tank in Washington, D.C. And his expertise is in how religious commitments are brought to bear on political life to improve public discourse and strengthen civil society. His doctorate in political theology is from Oxford University, so certainly well qualified to talk about the sorts of things we are going to be discussing today. And a special welcome along to 2020 to you, Ryan Messmore. Great to be with you, Neil. Thanks. Uh, Ryan, uh, talking about your background, uh, your qualifications, things that you have very, very deeply researched uh, when you were studying for your doctorate. I mean, these sorts of things, the application of where our religious life, our Christianity, uh, might intersect with our culture and then have influence in politics. All of this is very much about the way we sound, the way we uh, make definitions for words and the way we communicate. Uh, this is such an important part of understanding how we communicate and how we influence. Right. I mean, the language is such an important component of our lives and our culture. Language, words mean things. They bear certain meanings. And um, a lot of people like to just jump into these big uh, cultural debates just using the words that they hear on, you know, media, social media, radio, television, um, and they don't really think through what do those words mean um, and what what do certain uh, phrases – certain phrases already carry certain assumptions, certain baggage with them. And so we need to as, – as Christians who are called to exercise discernment, uh, to judge good from bad, right from wrong – we need to, to look carefully at the words we use and make sure that they mean what we want them to mean. If we talk about thinking about these words and what they mean, now this is one of the things, and for some people it'll be a little bit confusing. What does liberal arts mean? I mean, uh, you know, this is what you do. Uh, this is who you are. But really you're teaching people to think Right. And teaching people to think means thinking deeply about the meaning of words. Uh, if we don't think deeply about the meaning of the words we use, uh, we sometimes don't know what we don't know. How do you describe teaching people to think and the use of their words in a wise way? Yeah, well, the the, the example you use, the liberal arts, is a perfect example of that because every time I, I use that phrase, or especially in Australia – 
you know, people uh, have either never heard it before they think it means, you know, playing the violin or people hear liberal and they think, oh, political, conservative, political, liberal. Uh, it actually has nothing to do with either of those things. It, it has to do with the root word of freedom. And what we're trying to help our students be liberated from in the liberal arts is ignorance. Um, and if you can understand the truth, then you have a lot more poss- – you're freed to pursue what's good and what's true and what's beautiful. So, um, yeah, I like to, to define the liberal arts as a degree in thinking. Uh, but I think that's a high, very high calling for Christians is to think the Lord's thoughts after him. Uh, the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. Uh, one of the things it means to be made in the image of God is to have a mind, and he calls us to use it well. So when people, when we've got a debate that's going on now, and a lot of name-calling is likely to happen, it probably won't all come from the people who are on the Christian side of the marriage debate. A lot of the name-calling comes from the other side. So there'll be all sorts of words like, uh, you're a dinosaur, you're old-fashioned. Uh, you know, How can you believe all that stuff in a book that was written 2,000 years ago? Uh, does that have any relevance to what we might understand as having any uh, real substance in the debate today. So where do we actually make this connection, Ryan? Uh, what we see as old, is old obsolete, or does old actually have real value for now? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think that uh, what we need to – G.K. Chesterton said that the, the point of having an open mind is to be able to close it again on something solid. Um, having an open mind itself is is not a virtue, it, only if we're able to then close it on the truth. Uh, so the truth is what makes um, the difference. And where things have been true in the past and still are true, then we should be promoting them even if they're thousands of years old as an idea. Um, just because something is old does not mean it's either true or false. Uh, just because something is new doesn't mean it's either better or worse. Um, so we can't just kind of use these uh, these phrases or these slogans, oh, you're on the wrong side of history or times have moved on. The real question is, is the claim true, what, whatever we're debating? And, and that – how long it has – existed is is secondary. What's primary is, is it true? Let's talk about the way that people think today, because you're teaching people how to think. You must have your uh, head around how people think differently, because these days, uh, as people talk about truth, uh, some people will say, isn't that all relative? Uh, well, what I think is true it may be different to you, but I'm going to be tolerant enough to let you think what you want to think is true. How do we, how do we get to this point? Because it seems to be that even Christians are influenced uh, by the idea of thinking that somehow or other uh, truth can be relative, that, that people can have their own truth. How do you think about yeah. this? Well, um, yeah, we, yeah, we've we've reached a day and age where it's it's worse to judge evil than to do evil. <laughs> that 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 so many people today are afraid of being accused of having a position and standing up for it that you may disagree with. Um, I think we've 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 reached that point through a, lo- a lot of complex changes in history. There were times in history where uh, cultures were very firm and adamant. There's there's one and only one right way, and they weren't a- aware of other cultures and how they thought differently. And so you see the the pendulum swing really far to, oh, well, then every culture thinks differently. Every cultural opinion is valid. 
Um, what we need to do is, is, I think, find the balance. We need to recognize, yeah, that we are a part of a culture. We are a part of a community. We use a certain language. We have a certain set of experiences and memories. God intended it to be that way. That's what it means to be human is to be a member of culture. However, we live in a real world, a world with a moral order to it outside of our beliefs about it. And we can be right or wrong about that moral order. Now, we know that moral order through our culture but that doesn't mean that we're we're simply creating it out of our own minds. We're we're trying to connect with something outside of ourselves, the truth. Um, and so we need to acknowledge the role that culture plays. But we also need to acknowledge, no, there's something out there, um, external objective uh, to human communities that they can either be right or wrong about. So, as a Christian believer, this is uh, this is where the rubber hits the road. Uh, because if we're a Christian, we're a follower of Christ, we appreciate that he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right. uh, then either we take a wishy-washy view of that and uh, just accept the criticisms that others would make of us, or we actually take a stand uh, which risks the name-calling, especially one like intolerant, or uh, people will use the word bigot, uh, which uh, can be hurtful for some people. So what is your advice? Mm. Uh, just claim it. Uh, put up with the, the name calling because as a believer, you've got to be someone who uh, is ready to stand on the substantial claims of Christ. Otherwise, how do you call yourself a Christian uh, if you don't actually believe what Jesus said? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is the five simple words we find in Scripture. Speak the truth in love. So the question is not whether we should back down from defending the truth. We are called to live according to the truth, and we are called to sacrifice deeply for the truth. And if that means that people don't like us or we lose our jobs or we lose our friends, um, then we need to be willing to make that sacrifice. But there's a way to, to argue for the truth and to defend the truth in a way that is unloving uh, and another way that's that's loving, that's winsome, that that takes the time to listen, that tries to understand where the other person is coming from, and doesn't try to defend the truth as a way of clobbering the other person on the head, but to say, because I love you, I want you to relate to the truth well, because that's going to be best for you. And, and so there's there's a way I think for Christians to need to um, to be seen as standing up for what they believe, not just for their own benefit but for the benefit of the common good. And that might be easier said when you have a new relationship, a new discussion, and saying, well, I need to have a gentle approach, as you're saying, and speaking the truth in love. If I've already spoken out, and I've already perhaps even lost my temper, uh, I've tried to assert my own viewpoint, how am I going to reel that in? I've got to make this adjustment internally myself, haven't I? Yeah, well, I think I think we need to um, to train uh, young Christians, especially, up on how to have those sorts of conversations. Um, but you're right; we're human, and and sometimes we may not be a- able to convey things in exactly the way we want. People need to. That, that's part of the Christian message: is that we're human, that we're sinners, uh, that there's um, a second and a third and a fourth chance. So, as as part of the consistency of this, the the truth that we're claiming, we need to to do that in humility. When we exer- when when we speak in anger, when when we cross the line, we need to be able to own that. We need to say, you know what, I I I did not handle that well, and I ask your apology for that. Uh, can, can can we talk again? 
Um, so, I, and, and I think the more we do that, the more credibility we gain and people will want to hear from us. I remember when I was in divinity school, the, the professors that I wanted to hear most from were those who were most willing to acknowledge, I don't know. To a, you know, a student would ask a question, and, you know what? I'm not exactly sure of the answer. Give me some time and I'll come back and try to find that for you. When I heard that from a professor, I wanted to hear them more because I could trust them as a human being, as somebody that I could relate to. So I think the same for, for Christians in general is we, re, we respond to our audiences. Is that humility a attractive virtue? And, of course, Jesus was humble uh, and it was attractive. And you're describing that sort of relationship that you might have with the people who you'll take as an influence on your own life. Uh, to be humble ourselves and, as you say, either admit you're wrong or say I don't know is the best way to respond rather than uh, resort to name-calling, uh, rather than uh, you know get into a heated argument. Right. And, and our, when, when, when we make bad arguments as Christians, that's not only bad because of the content of the argument. It's also a bad witness. Uh, for the t- kind of God and the kind of life that we're trying to to, to make persuasive. Um, so we, we need to do the hard grunt work up front of being well-informed, knowing what the good arguments are, and then taking the time to train ourselves in how to convey that in a winsome, strategic way, not a weak way, um, one that stands up for the truth but does so in love. Truth and love are not opposed to each other. They go together. Life. Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our talk back line open now on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest this hour, Dr. Ryan Messmore, founder of the Millis Institute with the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. And you can be a part of this conversation. Uh, Ryan, let's get into some of these buzzwords. We've been talking about them. Um, let's talk about this word uh, discrimination uh, to start with, because it used to be the idea that if you were a discriminating person, that sort of was, you know, that was a virtue that you held uh, because you were a wise person who could say, uh, I know what's right and wrong. I'm choosing to do what's right. Discrimination is a very, very different word, almost a weapon these days. That's right. It's used as a trump card today, and as soon as you can accuse somebody of discrimination, then you've won the argument. Um, This is a perfect example of a word that has changed meaning, as you said, over time. Um, The original dictionary definition of discrimination is um, simply the cognitive process of distinguishing. (laughs) It's making an acute discernment. Well – Human flourishing depends on making doing exactly that. We make dis, distinct distinctions and discernments every day between what is healthy to feed our kids, when is it the appropriate time to cross the street, who should we hire, you know, for an open position. We are called to think well and to be good discriminators in that sense. Now, what the word has come to mean today is. Um, Unjust or prejudicial treatment, um, treatment based on prejudice rather than reason. And so that's, the I think, the real key to unlocking the difference between good discrimination and bad discrimination. Is your discrimination based on reason and rationality? Uh, is there a logical basis for, the, uh, for different treatment? Or is it simply based on prejudice? 
Now, if it's based on prejudice, Christians should not want to have truck with that sort of discrimination. We do not want to, to base decisions on prejudice. We want, as we were talking earlier, to base our decisions on the truth. Okay, so truth when it is relative, uh, in other words, uh, one opinion versus another opinion and uh, perhaps the idea that neither side has any objective truth, uh, that that's when it becomes a problem. And that's, I imagine, how we got to where we are at the moment where discrimination doesn't mean what it used to right. uh, because people don't know what the objective truth might be. Uh, Christians have the objective truth. How do you reflect on that? Yeah. Well, there, there's there's an un, there's a background issue going on here with with the current use of discrimination. This is moral relativism. Um, if there is truth outside of our own um, minds, our own subjectivities, then um, then we need to be discriminating about it. We need to make good distinctions about the truth. Um, if if everything is just up to us, if there's no external truth to our own opinions, uh, then everybody is simply offering their own preferences. And in that case, right, no preferences are any more valid than anybody else's preferences. Um, as Christians, we believe that there's a God and he created the world and infused that world with purpose and meaning. So we believe there is an external standard for our decisions. We need to, to think well about that truth. Um, we just need to do so in love. But the person you might be engaging with may call themselves an atheist and they say, well, there's no God. There can't be any external truth. Uh, what's all this stuff you're talking about? You're just being prejudiced. You're, uh, dis you know, you're in, uh, you're, uh, discriminating against me right. uh, or against the, the idea of, in this case, that we'd be sort of generally talking around the marriage debate. But this idea that if the person you're talking to doesn't believe in God, then they're not on the same playing field that you are. Right. And then here then it's useful to use some examples with your conversation partner to show them that actually they use these sorts of distinctions all the time. So if I were if I were talking to somebody in that situation, um, I would say, okay, is it ever wrong to treat somebody on the basis of their skin color? And I imagine the likely response would be no, never that's discrimination. So you think, well, um, okay, so a you know an organization places a water fountain in in their business, and they place on the water fountain the words "whites only." How would we feel about that? And you, me and my conversation but partner would both say that's unjust discrimination, that's bigotry. Why? Because there's no logical relevance between the color of your skin and the need for water for thirst. All human beings start. Well, if I were to say um, an organization who um, produces sunscreen or suntan lotion, uh, they want to hire a model uh, to be their poster boy to show you know, how well your skin tans with their product, and they only allow white people to apply for the position. Is that unjust discrimination? I think most reasoning people would say, well, no, that it, it, the Skin color is very relevant to being able to to show a tan. So, but but wait, we, we've treated we've we've discriminated against somebody based on the color of their skin. But in the latter example, it's not racism. It, it, there's a relevant logical um, connection between skin color and that, where there was no relevance between skin color and water fountains. And so, we, what's the difference? We have to use. Our logical thinking skills, we have to ask, what is at stake here? Is the different treatment relevant 
And in one case, it leads to good discrimination. In one case, it leads to bad discrimination. And being informed about the current marriage debate, uh, when it comes to being a Christian, there's, there's extra dimensions here so that the Christian isn't just relying on the words in the Bible that say marriage is between a man and a woman because we're actually talking about the natural marriage, uh, the biological fit of a male and female and their potential for procreation and and creating that family unit. So there is a sense here, isn't there, that as Christians uh, we want to be able to argue about marriage and we want to say because there is this objective truth God created man and a woman. Uh, that is a religious uh, foundation, but there's also this other natural foundation. So it should be very easy for Christian people to actually say marriage is between a man and a woman. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, if today, if if a Christian were to say that, uh, if anybody were to say that, they would likely be accused of being a bigot, uh, you know, and, uh, exercising unjust discrimination. Um, but if you look at look at a similar example to what we just did with with uh, with the water fountain, if if a Christian were to say um, a blind couple's relationship should not be recognized as marriage, reasoning people would be able to say, no, that is unjust discrimination. Why? Because there's no relevance between eyesight and what a marriage is. But if Christians say um, a same-sex couple's relationship should not be recognized as marriage. Because it prevents children from being raised by their biological mom and dad. Now, that's a very relevant um, distinction to make. Uh, Motherhood and fatherhood have everything to do with um, the purposes of marriage. And so people may want to disagree and they may want to debate uh, the conclusion of the Christian. But – it's not discrimination. It's not bigotry. It's not prejudice. They're basing an art. They're basing their conclusion on a logical argument that's, that's relevant to the case of the matter. And we need to be, as you said, more adept in making that sort of argument and showing, look, we're using reason. We're not appealing to just some text that you happen to find not authoritative. We're using reason. Come reason with us. We are taking calls just a couple of minutes out from news, but let's take a call from John in Tasmania. Hello, John. Welcome along. I'm glad to be uh, with you, Neil and Ryan. Uh, One thing that's common with most of these kind of things is that uh, the established meanings of words are changed. For example, the term euthanasia was once the title of an early 19th century book which was not about uh, ending life prematurely to escape pain and suffering, but rather about preparing to meet one's God and being ready to die uh, on a spiritual level. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, do you have a thought on that, Ryan? Well, yeah, it just shows how uh, flexible uh, language can be and that we can never um, simply sit back and allow uh, whatever culture we're in to determine the meaning of words because our cultures can change words, can change the meaning of words. So we have to be adept as Christians in um, saying what what has that word meant in the past, as the caller has just noted, what does it mean now? Um, can we continue to use this word and convey what we want in using it? Or do we have to choose a different word? Or could we reclaim that word? Uh, and, and do we need to uh, remind 
um, our, 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 our brothers and sisters in Christ um, what it means and how to use these words well. We'll take some more calls in just a few moments. Uh, Ryan, as we talk about these sorts of words, uh, the word tolerance. Mm. I mean, we were talking about discrimination, but the word tolerance, another buzzword, which is loaded with all sorts of different meanings. What are your right. thoughts on the word tolerance? Yeah. Another perfect example of how a word has changed its meaning over time. The original definition of tolerance had to do with you know, putting up with the expression of a view that you disagree with rather than trying to suppress it with force. Uh, that sounds pretty straightforward, but notice that it presupposes that disagreement will take place. There will be different opinions in a pluralist society, and we need to allow to put up with, to tolerate the right of people to express those opinions. Today, tolerance, which has become the ultimate virtue of, of uh, the millennial generation, uh, means accepting or affirming somebody else's view. So disagreement is no longer allowed. You have to affirm and support uh, the person who feels strongly about something, or you're demonized if you try to change that person's perspective. Um, so we've seen, even in the same-sex marriage debate, um, where um, what is passed in the name of tolerance, actually it becomes illegal to voice the opposing opinion. And you can be fined or you can lose your job or your license if you even express an opposite opinion. And a couple of preachers in Tasmania uh, in just this past week uh, drawn before the Anti-Discrimination Tribunal in Tasmania. And we were talking to one of those preachers just the other day. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316, talking about buzzwords today. Let's hear from Wayne in Marsden in Brisbane. Hello, Wayne. Welcome along. Yeah, good day, Neil. Wayne, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I think uh, one of the greatest opportunities for uh, deception to increase is to take the truth out of the meaning of words. Uh you know, we've been talking like this marriage thing is coming up and that's affecting everybody. And it will affect people who uh, desire to speak for the truth and to support truth um, in all areas of life. Uh, I, I, I just quote from the uh, Concise Oxford Dictionary what it says about marriage. It says, It's the condition of a man and a woman legally united for purpose of living together are usually for procreating lawful offspring, an act or ceremony or procedure establishing this condition. Now, that's what our concise Oxford Dictionary says to us about marriage. We're going to have to rip that page out now, and we're going to have to conform our words that we don't align ourselves with the truth of what our language says. The other thing, another word that we hear these days all the time is the use gay in regards to homosexuals. Well, I don't use the word gay in, in regards to homosexuals because I'm branding them. And I'm branding them, if I use that word, I'm branding, and I don't, I'm branding them with a word that has no moral or spiritual connection with their, uh, their condition of homosexuality, their, their desire for that lifestyle. Wayne, good thoughts in all of that. Let's get a response from our guest, Ryan Messmore. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts on what Wayne's sharing. Yeah, what's interesting um, about uh, that comment was 
two different things. One was um, a discussion of something like marriage, and the other the, a discussion about a human being. Um, and I think that uh, oftentimes that's where we get muddied is that we think that to disagree with somebody's definition of marriage means that we're attacking the person. And that's what the other side sees as happening. They, they've so uh, placed their sense of identity, and, and, and people do this all the time. We, we place our identity in the acceptance of others, um, and therefore it, be, um, it becomes hate speech to disagree with me because you've attacked who I am. This is where Christians, I, I think, can help draw some distinctions. Our, our identity needs to be based in Christ. If our identity is in Christ, then we can be willing to disagree, and we can talk and debate about our, our different uh, views. We, we've respected and loved the person, but we're trying to um, come to the truth and, and, and to debate the truth of, of something like marriage differently. Um, and, and we can do that, um, and, and the Lord calls us to do that. Um, the Lord himself in, in Scripture you know, urges people very strongly, do not do that anymore. Do not sin anymore in that way. But he nevertheless loves them because he, he views their identity as lying deeper than just in their sexuality, but it, it lies in their relationship with him. Uh, Wayne from Marsden in Queensland. Good thoughts. Thank you for your contribution to 2020 today. Let's take another call. Stacy is in Melbourne. Hello, Stacy. Welcome along. Have we got you, Stacy? Stacey, you might like to call us back on 1-800-316-316, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. One of the things that Wayne was sharing too in the early part of uh, his thoughts was this idea that truth taken out of the meaning. I mean, we could probably have an argument over whether the Oxford Dictionary got the definition of marriage right, but Wayne's saying because the truth has been taken out of the meaning, we have to tear that page out now. So really, how we get the truth is an important aspect of the argument, isn't it? That's right. And here, you know, here again, language is the vehicle that, God, or one vehicle that God has given us to get to the truth um, at or through. And so... Um, we are dealing with a flexible instrument to get to the truth, and and thus we 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 there's simply no um, shortcut around stopping and saying, "What do you mean by that? <laughs> you use that word, you use that phrase. Let's talk about that." Um, it can be used in different ways. A, a lot of words gain their meaning by the company they keep, by their use in a particular culture. So let's be careful. What do you mean when you say that word? Ryan, from this time forward, there's going to be significant conversations, a significant national debate. Some of that debate will happen in the elite level and those who are reported in the media. Other conversations are going to happen around the table or around the water cooler at work. And the idea of being a Christian and knowing that there's all this fluidity, there's all of this flexibility in the meaning of the words... How important do you think it's going to be for Christians to actually settle on a truthful meaning for the words that we talk about and that we use in the debate? And as you were saying, uh, to gently communicate those. But how important is it going to be to settle on what we do mean, uh, a place of truth, so that 
you then give others an opportunity then to uh, to sort of maybe dance with you in that to to be able to understand what you mean. Right. Uh, it, 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 it's of ultimate importance, and I'm just thinking here of of the word love. Uh, hopefully, a Christian coming to worship on a Sunday morning. Uh, will hear the word love. They will hear the, the, the inspiration and the command to love. If they have their understanding of that word shaped by our larger culture, they will be hearing perhaps a different message than the one that the church intends to give. And, and you look at now what the, the, one of the leading slogans uh, for the same-sex marriage debate, love is love. Jesus calls us to love. Uh, people should be allowed to marry who they love. And, and so you can see how that this one word can mean very different things. You know, in, in one context, um, the church means sacrifice for another person in the way that God in, <laughs> intended. Another person is hearing that as just, oh, a feeling that I get in my stomach or my sweaty palms when I, when I, you know, spend time with, with my friend. Um, so the church needs to, <laughs> needs to, pay very particular attention to helping to educate Christians on how to use the the basic words that make up the gospel story. Interestingly, these are very basic words, and we might never have anticipated that these very simple foundational words that we use as part of our communication of the gospel might take on such a, a, a a desperation of uh, of others to try and change their meaning, uh, but we have to actually work very hard to actually maintain the uh, the formal and simple and biblical understanding of those words. We do, yeah. It's and that we can never kind of get to the point where we say, you know what, that's been settled. That the meaning of that word has been settled. Time moves forward, and and as you said, people have a very vested interest in wanting um, people to understand, agree with, and support and affirm their own feelings and their own dispositions. Uh, that'll never change as long as we're human beings. Um, and, and so we have to be diligent uh, as a Christian community um, in doing the hard work, as I said, of being well-informed and then using our words well. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Hello. Welcome along. Hello. Oh, look, I'd just like to say Matthew 24 it tells you about the, what's actually happening in our nation today, that people are taken to court. This is prophecy in process. Taken to court for God's name's sake, for his righteousness. And, you know, in uh, Isaiah, I think it's 3, 4, and 12, tells you God will take the wisdom of our nations from us. Not only that, but... It tells you the nations that lead you, lead you to air. Good thoughts in there, Graham. Some response from Ryan on biblical foundations. The idea of prophecy even saying that, you know, you'll be dragged before the courts. Uh, Jesus gave us those sorts of warnings as well. What are your thoughts for Graham? Yeah. Well, I, my mind goes to... Um, to some of the biblical authors. I'm, I'm thinking in particular about... Um, Paul arguing in the public square and his discernment in um, how to make arguments to different audiences who accept you know different starting points. I think about the the opening of the Gospel of John, where um, it's fascinating what he does with the word 
logos, which is translated today word. In the beginning was the word. John went into a culture, a Greek culture, where that word meant something. It was an impersonal um, philosophical principle of reason that tied everything together. Um, he said, in the beginning was the logos, knowing that his audience would understand the word logos to mean something very particular. And then several verses later he says, and the logos became flesh and dwelt among us. The logos became a person. That would have totally have been outside the box of how that word was used and understood. So there we have John recognizing that he was trying to change the meaning of a word to help people understand better the truth that really ties everything together and makes everything reasonable. Um, so that that's just the nature of language, and we have to use it well and figure out how to um, move the meanings of words closer to the truth. Thank you so much to Graham from Tasmania for your input today. Let's continue to take some calls. Robin is in Longreach in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Thank you. Robin, what are your thoughts? Uh, I just had a thought, you know, we're talking about words and meanings of words and how things change over the years, and it just dawned on me. Um, it, it, the problem with um, all this for our nation, I, I believe, is um, is... But we, this nation was founded on British um, law and um, the law apparently, from what I understand, someone I know that was going through uni becoming a solicitor was doing a paper one time and he told my husband that basically when it gets down to it, the nitty gritty, um, the law is built on the Ten Commandments. And um, we have a situation with this, if this goes through with the um, same-sex marriage, in my view, of um, it crumbling the basis of the whole of this society in a way, because when we look at, I think it's the sixth or seventh commandment, honour your mother and father, um, well, we won't have necessarily mothers and fathers anymore. We will have mothers and mothers and fathers and fathers. So I just see it as a huge um, problem with our whole legal system. The ramifications are huge, aren't they? Robin, they are. thank you for your thoughts. Uh, response from Ryan. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why it's so important for Christians to be engaged in um political debates, political discussions, discussions about the laws of uh, the communities in which they live, because law um, has the ability to define words and to put authority behind it. I mean, we've often even in this conversation been referring to the dictionary. Well, the dictionary is authoritative for those who want to live by it, but the way that the law defines the words in that law that's what, what has force. And that's that's why this debate around what is the meaning of marriage, what is the meaning of religious liberty, what are the rights that, that go with those words. I mean, you've seen the perhaps the, the, the cartoon comic of, you know, um, it, Moses holding up all of the law on two tablets. <laughs> and then today it's reams and reams and libraries and libraries full of, you know, nuanced definitions of what the law means. That's because we have to define the words that are in the Ten Commandments. And um, Christians need to be very engaged in making sure that uh, the laws of the country in which they live um, are written with 
with the proper words and defined in the right way because you can slip in a lot of um, a lot of evil through the way that you define some law in subsection B, you know, item C that nobody ever reads. But that's what's so important. And a very, very powerful point uh, that is being made here is that if the marriage definition changes, that will change a lot of the definition that we have understood that our our whole nation has been built on, our constitutional foundations dating back to uh, 1901. And I know there are people who've got all sorts of thoughts about uh, the word marriage, which is in the Constitution, about whether that could actually be changed or whether there might need to be some sort of not just plebiscite but referendum in order to actually uh, change the definition of marriage as to what it means and what it meant back in 1901 when the Constitution is written. So thank you so much uh, to Robin from Longreach, great input today on 2020. Let's take a call from Kelly in WA. Hello, Kelly. Welcome along. Hi. Kelly, what are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts are that uh, from what I have heard and um, from people and from the radio and also searching in God, um, the whole problem with the gay marriage, with the fluidity and with the freedom of choices um, there's a danger there that goes, there's many dangers, of course, that goes in all, all, um, all meanings of society, but there's a, a big danger of the um, personal identity that with um, all these free choices, the um, strong identity of a person is really compromised. So if they are um, mom and a father or if they are boy and a girl, there's a sense of identity in all of these in being part of a family. And when the sense of, once the sense of identity is gone, then I think the, the whole social structure is in danger to being a, um, in a collapse, really, in a, in a really different sense of what will happen to the meaning of society for us. Kelly, good insight there. Your thoughts, Ryan? Yeah, it does seem that... that the whole question of identity underlies so many of these uh, big debates today. Think about what's happening with the uh, you know discussions of gender, um, marriage. Uh, there's just um, yeah. Th- this is a space though that Christians can speak into um, because um, understanding our true identity is at the heart of what it means to follow this Lord. Um, and if we place our identity or if a culture places its identity in something other than um, its status as a child of God created in his image, um, then you, you, you get all of these other battles trying to get support and cultural affirmation and you have to agree with my view or else you'll hurt my feelings. Um, it, it, it just leads into a total uh, different direction. So this is why the the, the fundamental um, understanding of the truth of the biblical story uh, really has cultural and political implications. And, of course, the idea that children who are born uh, into a circumstance where they may only have one biological parent or neither who's a biological parent, uh, identity is also a very significant issue that gets very, very messy when uh, when those children are denied right. the identity of their parents. 
Uh, and of course, uh, when we talk about having an identity in Christ, as you say, Ryan, we're able to speak into that argument very, very solidly. Thank you so much to Kelly from WA for your insight. Let's uh, look, we really haven't got time to take another call. So I'm going to have to probably put a ruler under there. So uh, to those who were waiting, uh, thank you so much for being so patient, but we won't be able to take your call today. Time is running out. If we're just putting a, perhaps uh, drawing the loose ends together, uh, talking about buzzwords, that's what we started talking about, Ryan. Mm. Uh, buzzwords are going to be everywhere. Uh, there'll be slogans that will be coming out, slogans on both sides, I might say. Right. Uh, the challenge here is to make sense of those and to know what they mean when you're actually engaging in the conversation. Is that the way we could draw things together here? That's right. There, there's simply no shortcut around um, asking what we mean by the words we use. Um there will be times where we have to answer quickly. We'll have to answer uh, in a, a short soundbite, uh, and, and both sides will need to, uh, you know, kind of come up with their soundbites. But around the dinner table, in Bible studies, at church, where we need to take more time and give more attention to um, to talking through these things. What do we mean when we use love? What do we mean when we use marriage equality? What are we referring to? Equality in reference to what? What what does marriage mean? What does love mean? Um, and th- and that, that's that's what I do every single day of, of my uh, you know working life is try to help um, students think clearly to develop critical discernment um, so that they can enter into these conversations as salt and light. Well, it's been a valuable conversation today, and as we talk about words and their meaning and truth. And that's the sort of thing that you're dealing with every day, Ryan, because you're teaching what's called liberal arts. In other words, helping people to learn how to think and how to think from a Christian perspective, uh, how to think from a biblical foundation. Uh, Those are wonderful things. And there are not many courses that you can do around the nation that deal with that particular topic. And it is a very, very important one. And I'll just say that Dr. Ryan Messmore, our guest today, is the founder of the Millis Institute with the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. Now, there is a website you can connect with Ryan at chc.edu.au. That's chc.edu.au. You might even want to enroll in one of his courses, chc.edu.au. Dr. Ryan Messmore, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your insights with us today on 2020. Been great. Thanks for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au. (laughs) 